Get ready, loosen those vocals up, Tubbs. Here it comes. An Australia without rugby league is not Australia. There's McCabe Diva. A nation roars for a hero. Freeman's got work to do here. A drop for He's got the field goal. He's got the premiership. Who would have thought the sequel would be just as good as the original? You're listening to the Crowd Catch. Buckle up as we dive in to all things sport. Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, you probably haven't gone far since we saw ourselves out last week. You've probably been on the couch watching the Olympics ever since and um, probably still on the couch now thinking, I can't wait to Paris. But you look, we're in the same boat. My name is Zachary Gates and with me as per usual, I have Jack Howard. How are you doing, buddy? Yeah, mate, I've um, got an introduction to your lockdown life after Tamworth going into lockdown two days ago. So it used to be funny laughing at you Sydney Siders, but not so funny anymore. You're in the same boat now, and um, Jimmy the Jet, how are you doing, big fella? Yeah, mate, I'm doing all right. A bit sad the Olympics are over. Um, I know they only come around once every four years or three years in the lead up to Paris, but so right now I wouldn't mind finding out the alternative and getting them once every year. That'd be pretty good. I've got to say, that is a silver lining, isn't it? It's it's like it's like when Grand Final Day comes to an end. You've got to wait another year until, you know, the next Grand Final. Now we're all feeling a bit sad that the Olympics are over, but we've only got to wait three years, not four, for Paris. I think it's a little bit better considering if you look at where a lot of our medals come from, it was a lot of people that uh, will be there in three years' time. And in particular, uh, a lot of our great chances are people that will probably be better for it in three years' time, like Titmus. And then someone like Jess Fox, four years may be a little bit too much of a stretch for her to, to hold on to her for world number one, but three years makes that probably that little bit easier for her to wrap her head around and have another crack at. So I think it's going to work really well in the favour of this record-breaking Australian Olympic team. Yep, and you could throw a few of the runners into that boat, like Stewie McSwain. Um, Ollie Hall will improve a lot in that time. Peter Bowl, as you say, the 1,500-metre girls, Jessica Hull and Lyndon Hall. Um, and, and, yeah, there were some top-class runners for Australia who didn't compete in the Olympics as well, like um, Joseph Deng, Peter Bowles' training buddy. So, yeah, we could go on, but um, it was a very impressive games from Australia. Yeah, well, it was our equal most gold medals ever, uh, tied with tied with Athens, I think. Um, just impressive all around, especially the performance in the pool, best ever, um, Emma Cairn. But, look, we're going to talk plenty about the Olympics is coming up. We've got some, got some things on the tip of our tongues to get out. Gatesy, why don't you kick us off with what caught your eye? All right. Well, back into the Olympics chat it is for what caught my my eye. Um, I'll have to go with, well, I will go with the fist pump between uh, the Brazilian marathon runner, Daniel Donascimento, and the goat of the marathoning, the the marathon goat, the greatest of all time, Elia Kipchoge. It was um, a crazy 22-minute period for this Brazilian. He had one of the best moments of his life when he had a fist pump, which was uh, caught on, which was captured by the cameras. Had a great fist pump with Elliot Kipchoge about 18 kilometres into the run. Um, Elliot was having a laugh with him. At first, Elliot didn't even see that he was going for the fist pump, so he just gave him a thumbs up. Um, and then he kept his kept his hand there, and Elliot went back and was like, oh, you want a fist pump? So we gave him a fist pump. Unfortunately, uh, about 22 minutes later, 7Ks later, um, Daniel Donascimento 
collapsed in the awful conditions, uh, got up, got going again, but he didn't last two minutes and he was done for the day. But um, I'll tell you what, if, if they managed to get a photo of that, uh, it'd be going straight to the pool room. How do you spell Kachoki? Capital K-I-P-C-H-O-G-E. Awesome. Cheers, man. I'm just writing that down for some trivia notes for later on. Might come in handy. <laughs> very, very smart, mate. Uh, I'm not catching up to do for, with, uh, with Coleman streaking ahead. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, guys. For all the things that happened over the past two weeks in the Olympics, so one that stood out to you was a fist bump in the marathon. If that doesn't say everything about you, mate, I don't know what does. But keeping the Olympics themes going, mine's also Olympic themed. I tell you what, if you're Australian, you wouldn't have missed this. You'd know all about it. It was the Boomers winning bronze. Um, it was just absolutely amazing. I, I caught it last week. I said in my short bets that the Boomers will come home with the medal, and they sure enough did that. 42 points from Paddy Mills to lead Australia to uh, a 107 to 93 win. Um, it was just it was just incredible to watch, you know, the, especially the scenes afterwards. It was just emotions all around from Paddy Mills, his post-match interview, Andrew Gaze and the show after just showing how much this medal means to Australian basketball, how far we've come as a basketball nation. I think it was just incredible. And there was so much emotion, not just people close involved in that basketball scene, but people just a fan of Australian sport. It was just great to see. And I think, for me, one of the highlights of our entire Olympics. Couldn't agree more, Jimmy. I hit the nail on the head and look for myself and my job. I could only cover what we deem as local sports. We had three. Uh, Tenworth people represented at the Olympics. Stacey Porter, who went out early in the softball. Kate Jenner, who went out um, in heartbreaking circumstances um, in a boil over in the first knockout game for the Hockey Roos after a great campaign. So, um, we were riding on Nick Kay in our prime seven Tenworth office, uh, one of the boomers who came on this very podcast. So uh, it was that little bit extra special for myself that I got to you know, do such a dream story um, and it was such a moment. And I don't think us who have only been here watching sport for probably 20, about 25 years, probably appreciate just how big of a moment that was. But hearing Andrew Gay saying that, you know, when his father first started playing, there was only 200 people registered in all of Australia. Yeah. I mean, we've come such a long way, so... What a moment. No, it was absolutely incredible, wasn't it? And like you said, that back, that little background of Andrew Gay said, only just it was his dad, there was 200. So, um, you know, it's just incredible. We've gone from that to here. Now we've got a bronze medal. And now that's the standard that we're aiming for, a medal at the Olympics. Exciting to inject Ben Simmons into that team in three years. But also probably a really good feeling to kind of stick it to Ben Simmons that we didn't oh, yeah. need him. So, I mean, we'll take him at the next Olympics, no doubt about it. But uh, really cool that that particular squad got it done. A squad that faced a fair bit of adversity. I mean, you know, we lost one of our starting five um, and un- unfortunate scenes for him. It sounds like uh, he's in a really bad way as he returns to Australia. So uh, they face a fair bit of adversity. But look, that was also my what caught my eye. That wasn't obvious. But, I mean, it rounded out two weeks of an incredible Olympic coverage as we touched on at the start, some awesome display by the Aussies. So, boys, the big question, what was your moment? If you had to pick one, your moment of the Tokyo 2021 Olympics? It's a tough choice, but thankfully I knew this question was coming and I thought about it pre, uh, pre-hand. Um, for me, you know, like I said, the boomers would be up there. There's a lot of medals 
a lot of performances that maybe not didn't even come up with the medal that'd be up there. But I just can't go past Ariana Titmus in the 400 meter freestyle final. That was that entire race was just incredible. I was on the edge of my seat watching that up against Katie Ledecky, and you know the rivalry had been built up for so long. It was Titmus versus the greatest ever, um, and you know it just it lived up to the hype. You know they were neck and neck from the entire race, but it wasn't. It wasn't just those two. Like, they were streaks ahead of everyone else in the field. It was just those two. They were the only ones in the race, basically. And they were going at it for gold. And, uh, you know, it looked like in the, the last sort of stages that Katie Ledecky was going to hold her out, but then Titmus just stormed home in that final 50 metres, got the win, and then Dean Boxhold tipped it off with his over-the-top celebration, <laughs> which just everyone loved. You know, everything about that race was just so good. You know, my heart was in my throat for the whole thing, and it was just... it. To me, that that has to be my favourite moment of the Olympics. Yeah, mate. I reckon if you were enjoying a VB, a VB over that race, you would have uh, spilled it all over the ground. <laughs> then he would have licked it up. No, Jimmy. <laughs> oh, right. You spill your lick. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, mine didn't come in the pool. Mine came on the running track, actually. Um, and it was Peter Bowl. I, I mean, yeah, you look back on his 800-metre campaign, he obviously ran 300 meter, um, three 800-metre runs, culminating in the final um, where he finished fourth, just missed out when he uh, faded over the home straight. But um, if I'm going to pinpoint the moment of the games, I think it was um, over the last 50 metres of the semi-final where he surged home to win. And all of a sudden, Australia started to dream that... Um, we could have an 800-metre Olympic gold medalist. And not just anyone, but someone who um, has an amazing backstory, someone who had come to Australia from South Sudan via Egypt, um, and now he's doing great things. And, I mean, yeah, you just you just had to look at Twitter. Like, everyone, so many people were jumping on Twitter and tweeting about Peter Bowl and getting right around him. 90% of those people wouldn't have heard of him before the Olympic Games. And that's one of the great things about the Games. All of a sudden, you can be cheering for someone and getting so happy for someone or being heartbroken for someone who um, you hadn't heard of, you know, before the race or before the Games. But, um, no, it was great to see how well Peter Bowl did. Couldn't agree more. We uh, constantly say, you know, that all of Australia is watching when Kathy Freeman... Uh, you know, stepped up to the plate and uh, onto the starting blocks in 2000. But it would have been very similar with Peter Bowe. Like the hype that day, everyone knew the time he was racing and so many people in lockdown. It was a, a huge hyped up moment. Gatesy, it had to be long distance running for you. Um, I knew it would be or middle distance <laughs> um, because I've I've got you on Twitter and don't only just follow you but I've got you on the notification as I've told you off air a couple of times. So I get it. <laughs> I'm a not... I'm not sure why you've signed up for that, mate. You must be a fan of my tweets. Yeah, look, um, very close to turning it off. Look, we're good mates. I like to support you, mate. But um, there's been a couple of times over the Olympics where I've gone to bed and I leave my phone on mute, but it still lights up every time. And, and the girlfriend is so sick of you, Zachary Gates. <laughs> he hasn't been able to sleep for last week because I'm mate, pretty sure what... you were averaging, what, like 15 tweets a night when the long distance running was on. <laughs> Mate, I, I really get around my distance running, okay? <laughs> oh, I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, it was good to see your passion. And I, I got behind a couple of the other Australians who you put us on to. So thanks for that. For me, it was Jess Fox. I went into it last week. Uh, it just didn't get eclipsed. Um, the heartbreak of watching it lose out in the K1 to then go and win the C1, the, the family 
the build-up, she was the favourite. Uh, she's stunning, uh, you know, all of it. And not to mention, we constantly heard the ad, you know, with Toyota. She's like, oh, I've got the bronze, I've got the silver, there's just one colour missing. Like, it was built up to that moment. It was probably built up to the moment two days prior when she missed out. So it just made it that extra bit special. And and for me, the, the reason I really liked that one is it's a sport the country has never cared about. I think it will do huge things for that sport. So I thought that was a pretty special moment. What was a quirky one for you guys? You know, maybe something that probably doesn't deserve the accolade of, you know, the moment of the Olympics you'll tell your kids about. But that was also that other, you know, moment which you look back on and think, I've watched that replay a couple of times since. Yeah, well, there are lots of little moments, like little things that, you know, stand out. I think one that's coming to mind was in... Um, in uh, the decathlon, was it Cedric Dubler who was just getting in um, Ash Maloney's ear, getting him around the corner, just screaming at him, telling him to go, you know, that, that sums up what the Olympic spirit's about, what the Aussie spirit's about, you know, like Cedric, Cedric was no chance of a medal. He was out of the running, but there he was, you know, going around the corner, spurring on Maloney, telling him to, you know, pick it up, get there, son. Um, apparently it was a bit more, you know, a bit more colourful than that on the track but you know that's that stuff's great to see you know a mate supporting a mate on the olympics doesn't care about his own race he's just there following ash around telling him to kick and i I thought that was just brilliant that was unreal for me one that it's a moment i'll never be able to get out of my head every time i watch another marathon was old bud running past he knocked over every single water bottle but picked (laughs) up the last one for himself like I'll never be able to watch a marathon and not think of that ever again. Like, that is the shithousery that I rate highly. I was just about to say, it's like, that's something you'd get around. That's something you'd do. If, oh, I, was no, racing, I, if I was racing you in a marathon and you were ahead of me, <laughs> I could almost guarantee you would just kick off every single bit of water so I couldn't get any. That's such a jack thing that's to do. That's the only time I've ever witnessed that in a long-distance running event. I, could, I missed it at the time, but then, of course, you know, um, footage came out and media started to cover it, started to write some articles about it, and I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I thought, who, who is this bloke? What a fuckwit. <laughs> oh, I rated it. God, it was funny. That's straight out of the Jack Howard textbook. So another one, another one I won't forget for a long time. Well, that was uh, Kaylee McEwen's fuck yeah. But... Um, yeah. <laughs> Old Bud's bike handle's falling off and then just eating shit like fucking oh. space afterwards like that. That's also something I won't forget for a very long time. Mm. Well, speaking of quirky ones, um, you know, I mean, it was a huge moment that Nicola, Nicola McDermott, uh, the Aussie high jumper, managed to win the silver medal. She wasn't expected to medal, but um, she she brought the quirky theatrics, um, mm. you know, like before she started every run, just... The, the positive visualisation, I guess you'd call it, where she was looking up and smiling from ear to ear and she was getting the crowd, as they all do, getting the crowd to clap with her um, and then a high knees striding into jump and then probably the quirkiest thing was sitting down and jotting notes in a diary. Um, that um, that uh, captured the hearts and minds of Australia, I think. That was pretty cool. It was what an Olympics, eh? Hey? What an Olympics, and we've only got three years to wait. And, and full credit, like, remember if you, like, cast your mind back, even just two weeks and three days ago, the media was still putting shit on it. So many people coming out saying it won't work, it can't work. I mean, full credit to the organisers. The fact that it went off for 
without a major hitch was just, I mean, incredible. I've, I've never really had Tokyo or Japan too high on my travel list, but I kind of just want to get over there and give back to the country after putting on such a show about crowds. You know, that's definitely on my bucket list now. Well, there's an overriding sense, isn't there, feeling that um, they brought so much joy to people, you know, like 80% of Australia or whatever it is are in lockdown, for instance. And, you know, they, they gave us something to watch um, constantly from, what, early in the morning till late at night every day. Um, it was fantastic. It made lockdown easier. So what else will make lockdown easier, though, if we do move on, is there is 640 minutes of rugby league to be played this weekend. And I think I'll be watching every single minute of it. I, you know, well, how, how'd, you, just, how'd you get that, those maps done then, Jack? I asked, somebody to work, I asked somebody to work <laughs> it out in the office for me today. Um, <laughs> 640 minutes of rugby league. Uh, yeah, and look, uh, 80 minutes of rugby union. But the Olympics has dropped us off right at such a tense moment in the NRL with this race for the top eight. Uh, so much is going on. Melbourne Storm, classy again against Manly. Manly showed a bit, though. It is going to be an exciting two months of rugby league. Yeah, no doubt about that. It really is heating up. Um, mostly just those final two spots on the ladder, you know, seventh and eighth. I think, you know, first through sixth, that's, that's pretty much a cider, just, there might be a few little changes to the order. Top four, yeah. The Eels, the Eels falling off has really opened up the race between the Eels, Manly and the Roosters. So, yeah, that, that's exciting too. Well, that's it. The, the fourth spot's pretty much up for grabs. I'm just looking at the ladder and, you know, the Storm, Panthers and Rabbitohs there, you know, that's the top three done. They're not going to be caught. But, um, you know, the Eels, Roosters and Seagulls, they're all in the fight for fourth spot. And then you've got the Titans, Raiders, Knights, and it's probably the big three that are in the fight for the um, seventh and eighth. But then, you know, mathematically, the Dragons and the Warriors and the Sharks aren't out of the race either. Um, and the Tigers, if you watch Tigerland, but I think we can all agree they're not going to be there. But, you know, it's very exciting. And there are some big matches this week, like none other than your Knights versus the Sharks, uh, Jack. Yeah, ninth played 10th. Um, that's a crucial game for both sides. Yeah, that's my one to watch this week. And uh, you hit the nail on the head. Um, Knights got a good run home. Knights can probably only afford to lose one, potentially two games because of their four and against. But um, what a win would do here for the Knights. Not only would it put put them one step closer, I think it would almost eliminate a competitor in the race. If the Sharks lose this, I think it's too much ground to make back. So this is a huge game for the Knights. And look, if they can't beat the Sharks with the team we've got, and considering the Sharks' injury woes uh, and, and their run at the moment, then we don't deserve to be playing finals week. But, um, yeah, look, the, the Knights never cease to fail to let me down. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, you mentioned the Knights-Sharks game. I think um, the game of the round undoubtedly is Eels-Seagulls. Um, the Eagles flopped in a, in, a, um, in a key game on the weekend, uh, getting flogged by the Rabbitohs. How are they going to go against the Seagulls who were... Um, they're just a little bit um, behind the pack. Um, they're not creating um, a lot of headlines, not as many as, you know, Penrith and Melbourne. But I'll tell you what, uh, with Tommy Travojevic in their team, they've, um, they're have they very dangerous. Who's yeah. your tip for that one? I, I think Manly needed that game against Melbourne. Like, as good as Manly have been playing, we identified a couple of weeks ago, they, they've had such a run of playing teams 
um, that just aren't in the contention of the top four, at least a majority of them, not even the top eight. They haven't even been in many games that have been still a match of it after halftime, let alone the 60-minute mark. So I think the Eagles will be all the more better for that hit out. Love seeing Brad Arthur on 100% footy. His name's been thrown around as somebody who will be uh, in the pressure cooker moving forward. Uh, the way he fronted up, the class he did on 100% footy last night was awesome. And just because of that interview and, and, and seeing the raw emotion and, and the black and white, which he put on, which is was just basically, we're not playing our best footy. We need to, if we don't, I fully understand the criticism. I think we'll see a different Parramatta team this weekend. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. Um, both team both teams will be up for it, but I think I think even though Manly lost to the Storm, they showed a lot of class in that match against the Storm. You know, the Storm are you know the form competi- form team at the moment, and I think it was tied at half time. And you know, the the Seagulls pushed them. Uh, they came out fire in the second half. It got a, got away with them a bit late in the match, but. At the end of the day, the Storm are on a what seventeen match winning streak at the moment, and the Seagulls have been the closest team to beating them in that seventeen match winning streak, or at least recently. Yeah. Um, and if I think if the Eels had played that game, it would have been the same result as what they dished up against. Would the have Rangers. been. It would have been a thirty point deficit or forty points. Yeah. So I think there's a bit of a class difference there at the moment, and I think the Seagulls, you know, they've got a real chance to say like we're a top four team. We're not just here because we've. Had an easy run. We're here to play finals and we can we can have a dig. Big blow with uh, the Eels losing Reid Marnie for the rest of the season. Yeah, exactly. One of their key players, key, key player in their spine. At he hooker. my super coach uh, team. Well, he was, he's had such a good season half that um, he'd been pushing for his origin debut early this season um, for the Maroons. But then the same shoulder injury that, um, that buckled him on the weekend um, – Saw him uh, forced out of the Origin squad. I think Joey Lussick will come into play at hooker, but um, that's that's a big blow when when the Eels really uh, need it the least. Yeah, it was a huge blow. Uh, look, somebody on that team, or probably a couple of them, really need to step up. I'm looking to the big boppers up front, Campbell, Gillard, and uh, Paulo to get get them moving and, and probably you know earn a couple more meters, which Marnie might pick up himself with some cheeky runs. Mitch Moses to show us how good of a footballer he is, and then a couple of their backs to light it up. But yeah, they they need the players to step up because it gets worse from here. I believe they still have to play the Roosters and one of the Bunnies or the Panthers between now and finals. So it doesn't get any easy here for the Parramatta Eels. So they really need to shape up this week. Otherwise, they won't be playing from the top four, that's for sure. This is their run home. It is a nightmare run home. Easily the toughest in the comp. They've got Manly. And then they've got the Cowboys. That's the only easy game they've got. And then they've got Melbourne. And to finish, the Panthers. That's pretty tough. Yeah. And, and we all know, too, that the Cowboys on their day have a, have a strong game in them. Yeah, the, the Cowboys are in, in strife of their own, really. I think they're coming up against the Tigers this week. Tigers or Warriors? That was my question mark game. Yeah, Cowboys, Tigers. I haven't that was your trivia, yet. wasn't mate? I haven't tipped it yet. That 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 will be an interesting game for the Tigers. But yeah, the, the Cowboys, unfortunately, this Jason Tamalola thing, I think, is just ruining the club at the moment. Yeah, the, 
I don't know what they're thinking. Like he's the best, one of the best middle forwards in the game. They put him on an edge and he just wasn't getting enough ball, had no impact. And then when they play him in the middle, they only play him for 40, 50 minutes. And when mm. they know fully, full well, he can play 80 minutes and he still is the best in the comp. It doesn't, it's not like he was playing bad playing 80 minutes. He was still chalking up over 250 run meters, 10 tackle busts, still killing it playing 80. And they go, you know what? We're going to reduce your minutes so you have more impact. Like how much impact can you have? I honestly think we're going to see something similar to what we saw play out at the Tigers a couple of years ago when it was Robbie Farah or the coach. You know, you <laughs> probably had the most influential player on the team and Jason can't Taylor. think of his Taylor. It's going to have to be one or the other. And obviously, I, I think Todd Payton's going to lose. But if, if, if he doesn't start to play Jason Tamalolo the way that the club's paying him a million dollars a year for 10 years to play, the, he's just going to have to walk. Well, you touched on it there. The key is the 10-year contract. I think where Todd Payton has, um, has made a mistake is he's looked at his 10-year contract and he said... Um, you know, he, he has a he has a different way of approaching it to um who did he replace his Cowboys coach? Um, Paul Green, of course, yeah. Um I was thinking Neil Henry, but he was from a long way back in the day. Um, I mean, he's looked at it and he's thought, well, he's got a ten year contract, he's only four years into that contract. Um, let's preserve him. We don't want him, you know, his body um running out of juice over the back end of the contract. Um, let's play him on the edge a bit. Let's not let's play him for 50 minutes, not 80 minutes. But um, no, I, if, if, I, if I was coach, I'd, uh, particularly as um, Todd Payton is on, what, a three-year contract, I'd want to be getting everything out of him, every, as much as possible out of him while I'm the coach, um, you know, for as long as you can with Jason Tom Lolo as well. And you just hope that he can hold on. The medical staff pour the time and effort into him. 100%. And, like, you, you take that tactic, put him on, win games, and then down the track you can rest him if he's got a few niggling injuries and, you know, hope someone else can step in. But at that point you would have won more games than what you wouldn't have if you had Jason Taumalolo on your team playing good minutes in the forwards rather than, you know, getting four hit-ups as an edge back rower. But um, one, one question I wanted to ask you, Gates, was a pretty big signing over at uh, the Red V this week. Uh, George Burgess. <laughs> uh, George Burgess returned to the NRL from yeah. the Super League. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that signing, mate. Oh, I've just got one thing to say. He's coming out of NRL retirement. <laughs> <laughs> what do you reckon, Jack? Feels if I need to fill in uh, the guys at home who are a little bit confused. Last year, we had to restart a trivia <laughs> segment because Gatesy asked how many uh, players from uh, a South team the were South retired. Many, just how many Burgess brothers retired, I say, wasn't it? And oh, obviously, Coleman got the question correct, but then Gatesy realised his mistake, so he completely just stopped the trivia and came up with a new question. And it was surrounding George Burgess, who Coleman said wasn't retired. Gatesy claimed was retired. I've had to listen to this. <laughs> Well, you and a half. <laughs> Look, NRL.com put out an article with a list of NRL retirees and George Burgess was on there. So don't take it up with me, big fella. Take it up with the NRL.com. Um, take please. it up with one random NRL.com journalist who's just a content producer. But look, we're just we're rehashing the old we, do. we need to move on. We need to move on. <laughs> Throw a quick question. Just want your tip. 
if the line this weekend says Manly to beat Parramatta by 18 points or more, are you on it or are you off it? Don't ask me for some punting tips. Yeah, good point. Jimmy? Oh, look, it depends on the odds, but it wouldn't be a bad shake of the sauce bottle. Yeah, fair enough. There we go. Rightio, well, we'll move on and uh, I can't wait for this next bit. Yes, right. Red light, green light is back. Plenty of arguing, plenty of debating to come. Uh, we got a bit heated at the back end there, so maybe we'll see if we can carry that heat into this and fire up even more. Um, with that said, I'll kick us off, see what you boys think. Where should the NRL Grand Final be played this year? Yeah, I, I, this is a pretty short one for me, Jimmy. Wherever you can. Um, ideally uh, with crowds. Well, let's go, let's say Queensland or New Zealand. Uh, well, New Zealand's off the table. Jacinta Ardern, I think, came out and said she's not going to do it. I, I don't even think Queensland is, is necessarily the the winner here. Just the speed of which it's been flipping and turning, um, you know, Queensland could get a lot worse. But at the moment, uh, with crowds to return to Queensland, with all the clubs up there, uh, it's got to be the $1.02 favourite. But, God, that market's been changing a lot this year. Has Jacinta come out and ruled out New Zealand? Yeah. Yeah, she has. Oh, I didn't hear that. I thought I thought it was still on the table. They're talking about it on Fox Sports like twenty minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, Gus. Well, that was Gus Gould uh, on one hundred percent footy last night, and um, I, I think he obviously still has his Warriors contact, so he was pretty adamant that that it was off the table. Mm. That's that's disappointing. I would have been very happy to see that. And Ruan Sims is the same. She said on uh, one of the nine panels on the weekend that um, you know, it'd be wonderful to see, um, I guess, New Zealand's rugby league-based fan, uh, um, New Zealand-based rugby league fans be uh, given a bit of payback for you know they haven't seen the Warriors play in New Zealand since 2019. And can can you just imagine an NRL Grand Final being played at Mount Smart Stadium or more likely Eden, Eden Park and um, in the case of Eden Park, 50,000 packing in and they're so passionate about their rugby league over there and it'd be a spectacle. Uh, it would be incredible. And particularly if you look at the two teams' favourite to play in it, like the, the Bromwich brothers at the Storm, uh, Brandon Smith, Jerome Hughes, uh, some pretty big Kiwi names there. And then also if you look at the Panthers, a couple, you know, your James Fisher-Harris's and... Uh, a couple of Maori ties with some of the boys who may not necessarily um, be available for the New Zealand team. So uh, it, it would be really special to see some of those players, especially the Melbourne Storm players who have obviously been there, done that at so many grand finals. It would be really special for them. But it doesn't sound like it will happen this year, but I, it doesn't mean I don't think we should visit it in the future. And I, I love the idea of playing every single game in uh New Zealand next year for the Warriors and whatnot. But, yeah, look, uh, I think you'll find Jacinta Ardern is not as rubber army when it comes to sports. I think she's a little bit harder on it. I know that it forced the Wallabies to jump on a plane very early on to get out there for the Bledisloe. Yeah, well, I'm the same with you boys. I'd love to see you go to New Zealand. Um, I think that would just be great. But um, in light of news that Jack's just informed me, Apparently that's not going to happen. So that is a bit of a shame. I, I guess the next best option would be Suncorp Stadium. 
Um, what do you boys think of that? I mean, most of the games are being played there at the moment anyway. Uh, anyway. Um, you know, down the track, there should be 100% crowds given the current trends and that. So do you think that's a suitable replacement or the other options are take it to Perth? I think Suncorp. Uh, also the fact that, you know, it's weird to think we haven't had a grand final up there ever, potentially, but no, definitely in so. my lifetime. So, yeah, I reward Brisbane, you know, potentially, you know, the heart and soul of rugby league is Queensland. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's great just for reward. Yeah, well, I think the Queensland government and um, and you know the people of Queensland deserve to the the cane toads up there deserve to be paid back, deserve to be um, shown um, a token of thanks. I mean, they've they're accommodating every club in the competition at the moment. Not only the three they've always got up there, um, and you know some people will say, oh, you know they showed the NRL a bit of disrespect in um, in. All of a sudden, a couple of weeks ago, shutting down the competition for a day and you know, springing that on them and forcing them to play um, five games in across Sunday and Monday. But, you know, I mean, they had, I think the, the, lack, of, the lack of trust really had come from the NRL with players stepping out of line. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Queenslanders saved the competition just like they saved the AFL last year and um, if New Zealand's off the table, it'd be it'd be good to see a game, you know, the grand final taken to Suncorp, I think. Yeah, ultimately, the Queensland government got the games back on, um, which they didn't have to do. Look, I'll go next. Red light or green light, fellas. Clint Gutherson's come out this year, starting to just dip his toe in the water of a potential million-dollar contract at the Parramatta Eels. Is Clint Gutherson worth a million dollars to the Parramatta Eels? If you're the CEO of the Parramatta Eels, do you say sign him at that money? Red light, green light. Red light. I don't Red think light. he's worth. I don't think he's worth a million dollars. To the Parramatta no. Eels, though, is the question. No. No. A million dollars is a massive chunk of your salary, your salary is. cap, and if you're going to throw that much money around, you want to get, you know. I think you want to get someone a bit more versatile than a fullback. You want to, and if you are going to spend that money on a fullback, you want to get one of the world's best. And you know, there's probably three fullbacks ahead of ahead of Gutherson, maybe four. He's All not tied up on around about a million dollars, though. At clubs, they won't leave. So again, it comes back to: is is it worth that money for the Parramatta Eels? No, I don't think so. Like those, I don't think. I don't think Gutherson should be getting the same amount of money as Tedesco or Turbo or Ponga. I don't think he's that elite. He's definitely a good player. And, like, they already have Mitchell Moses, who's on close to a million dollars, you know, and he's already one of the highest paid players there. He might even be the second highest paid player already. I don't know how they're going to find the salary cap space to bump up his, his wage even more but then continue to develop and build their roster because, you know, there's still building they need to do. Well, I don't think... a... Sorry, I was going to say, just to help you with that, Jimmy, they have a problem coming up. I think they've got uh, Brown coming um, onto the open market in October as Ryan Madison. Uh, so a, a couple to fit in. So it's not going to be easy if you're already chucking Mitch Moses' money on the cap. It's a green light for me. <laughs> If I'm if I'm um, if I'm Brad Arthur, if I'm the Eels chief chief executive, I say throw a million bucks at him. 
let's not forget that Clint Gutherson, look, he's not as flashy in attack as Tommy Turbo or Ryan Pappenhausen or Ponga or Tedesco, but he is very good in attack. Um, not only when it comes to scoring tries, but playmaking as well, setting up a lot of tries for um, for Papali'i and for um, Ferguson and Wanga Blake and yeah, mixing well with those guys, Dylan Brown. But he's also fantastic in defence. How many times has he pulled off some freakish try-saving tackles this year? Yeah, a fair bit. He's a, he's a class player for sure. And like they should try to keep him. I 100% think they should try to keep him. They shouldn't let him go. But I think, I think he's worth it. Sorry, I cut you off there, Jimmy. What were you going to say? I'll, I'll well, say I think this. he's getting greedy. That's what I was going to say. I'll, I'll say this. I think without Clint Gutherson, the Eels aren't in the top four at the moment. No, I, I agree. So, I, look, I, I thought about it. At the start, I was with you, Jimmy. I thought, no way should you be paying him a million dollars. But it comes down to what value is he to that club? And what you just said then, Gatsy, I wholeheartedly agree with. I think he's a very big piece of their premiership puzzle. I think if you were to review the Eels now and say, well, what do we need to change between now and winning a premiership? I don't think anyone says, move Clint Gutherson out of the picture. So I think you need to keep him. And if it comes to that price tag, I think you've got to pay it. The other thing I thought of just on the drive home is, if you look at some of the highest paid players in our game, I don't think they're worth as much to their club as Clint Gutherson is the Eels. Uh, Benny Hunt's on almost that much money at the Dragons at the moment, and um, he's not even playing in his favourite position half the time. I wouldn't even think daily Jerry Evans. He absolutely is. Uh, They've chopped and changed him more than once. They've experimented with him, so he hasn't. You wouldn't say that he's completely cemented it down. So there's one. I I wouldn't think daily Jerry Evans, the most paid player in the NRL, is as vital to Manly as Clint Gutherson is. Yeah, I, so, I, I agree with that. I agree so with that. I, I think I think the Eels are going to have to pay him, but uh, I really think their premiership window is on such a make-or-break place at the moment because, as you said, if you put more money there, how are you going to keep these other superstars? It's, um, it's an interesting time, but it is a green light for me. Yeah. Well, just to go back to one of your first points, Ben Hunt is the entire Dragons team. He is the he backbone is. of our team. If you, go by, if you um, go by value to a player's worth to a team, Ben Hunt deserves to be our highest paid. But, but since, the, since the day he arrived on that contract, I don't there have has enough. been a lot of issues. Huh? You know, since the day he arrived at the Dragons, the, you know, it hasn't always been smooth sailing for Ben Hunt. They experimented with him out of the halves without paying a million dollars a year. I think this year Ben Hunt has well and truly prove his worth as a football player. And that's that's the that. risk you take by signing player on a high money yeah. deal. You don't know what their output is going to be. And, you know, but, that's it's the same risk with signing Gutherson. You know, he could get injured and then you've got a million dollars sitting on your sidelines. And that's so much money to have sitting on your sideline when the salary cap's only $9 million. And, you know, like you said, I think the bigger problem rather than his value to the team is just that, you pay him that much, someone has to leave, and then there's less money to spend on depth. There's less money to spend around. You look at you look at the Storm, how they've done their salary cap. They have stars on their team. But guys that, take pay cuts to play at the Storm. That's a huge part of it. Yeah, but, you know, you've got to get that good and props to the Storm for doing that. Yeah. You know, that's a bonus to the Storm for being the club they are. You can't just say, oh, you need to be that good, like... The Storm and the Roosters are pretty much the only team that get that luxury. And that's just props to them. But, but yeah, I don't think he's worth a million dollars. Red light. 
Mm. All right, boys. Well, how about I uh, round us out? So the ICC came out um, on Tuesday. It's Tuesday, isn't it? Tuesday this week and said, yes, uh, we are confirming our intention to have cricket included um, in the 2028 Los Angeles Olympic Games and beyond. We're confirming our intention. Does cricket belong in the Olympics? Look, cricket's my favourite sport. It's the reason I've gone into the field I've gone in. As a cricket lover, I would love to see it there. The 2020 brand makes it possible. I think for an organisational point of view, you will struggle to see that become a staple of the Olympics for a couple of reasons. So, I mean, I would love to see it happen. Uh, But if you compare it to, say, the push to get netball into the Olympics, I think it's much easier and probably a lot cheaper uh, for netball to come into the Olympic centres for cricket, which I think would be an organisational nightmare for a lot of countries. I think, well, I, I, I think it should be in the Olympics. Um, you know, it's got that international appeal. So many countries around the world do play it and only, you know, those lesser known countries are only getting better and better. To introduce it in America, I don't know if that's the best way. Like what if you introduced it in the next games when it's in Brisbane, you know, that'd be huge. It's cricket's massive here in Australia. It would, it would make more sense to introduce it in yeah. Brisbane. Yeah. Like that'd be huge. They'd sell out. It'd be a massive, you know, flagstick event for the Brisbane Olympics. Whereas you introduce it in Los Angeles, you know, Americans are just confused it for baseball. They won't know what's going on. I'm like, what the hell is this sport? <laughs> but I, do, I, I think it's a quality Olympic sport. Um, as, as well as I think netball is a quality, quality Olympic sport. Um, you know, probably two sports I would have ahead of sport climbing as much as I have, as much as I love sport climbing. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm agreeing. I think it should be there. It's a red light from me. Um, and look, there are several sports. I was talking to um, a workmate about this the other day. There are several sports in the Olympics which don't, don't feel right. They don't really belong in the Olympics. The, the Olympics really are about those sports like pole vault and javelin and swimming, swimming, of course, um, and equestrian sports that we don't, that unless you're a nuffy, a swimming nuffy, or unless you're an athletics nuffy or an equestrian nuffy, that you don't have, um, you don't show any investment in whatsoever um, until the Olympics roll around every four years um, or three years once uh, Paris come around. And I mean, that's not the same for sports like, tennis and um and a couple of others i mean the the pinnacle for tennis is winning one of the grand slams particularly wimbledon not winning the olympics um so yeah for 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 a couple of those reasons yeah i mean yeah cricket has the ashes we we now have the world test championship um but why then try to uh take another avenue um, to you know, increase the signif- significance of cricket when you really haven't done much around the World Test Championship. Like, no, you know, how many articles were written about the World Test Championship battle during the first cycle? No, big time. And look, the Olympics, uh, it, it's over the past probably 15 years, it's flipped from every city wants it to a lot of cities don't want the Olympics anymore for the financial woes. But for an example, if you look at, say, Brisbane, to put cricket in, much more difficult than what you think. So let's say the Gabba turns into their main Olympic stadium. Well, you can't host it there because that's where your athletics hub is. you got the Suncorp Stadium, for an example, to host all your rugby's and your soccer's and whatnot. 
you're looking at building another stadium. So all of a sudden you need three major stadiums to host the Olympics, the third just for cricket. A lot of the countries never prepared pitches before, so that becomes a major issue in itself. Like America, how are they going to produce a pitch, <laughs> the costs involved? But then the last thing for me, which I think is the nail in the coffin, is the weather. What if it rains six days at an Olympics? Not a huge amount of rain, but enough to get the pitches wet. I, I think that is um, will always be a huge con in the list you're putting together when you're looking at bringing the cricket into an Olympics. Yeah, I think um, one contingency they'd have to have in place uh, if they were to introduce cricket to the Olympics would be having a reserve day. That's what they had for the World Test Championship final. Um, you know, just because of how significant an event it is, five days, if we have to go into six, we'll use it. And they had to use that. And uh, of course, New Zealand one in the end, um, I, I think they have to take that. But yeah, again, I mean, cricket has the T20 World Cup, the ODI World Cup, the Ashes, the World Test Championship, which really it's, it's got to be said, um, has been gaining very little attention. Let's build that up first and let, let's keep getting excited about the, the World Cups we already have. Tell you what, I'll just sign off with this, Casey. The way Australia is playing, we do not need the Olympics to fail at as well in the cricket calendar. No. <laughs> no, I know. We're, we're terrible in the West Indies and again in Bangladesh. But, you know, let's not forget that Stoinis wasn't over there and Smith and Warner and Cummins and Glenn Maxwell. So, you know, it was a second string side. And we, we took a second string side to uh, New Zealand when we were beating in the T20s over there in February, I think it was. So. Good to get your views on Cricket Gatesy, but would love to get your views on AFL. Fair bit's been going on in the AFL world. Not that Jimmy and I would know much about it, but we do have a list of questions and we've got to stop watching. It's all we need. So, as always, Jimmy. Righto, Gates. One thing I did see, but I know nothing about, the Taylor Walker racism scandal. What do you make of that? Um, it was devastating. And I think... Um, the people who my heart goes out to most is the Indigenous boys on the Adelaide Crow squad. I mean, Taylor Walker, he's, well, you know, he had been an icon of the club, a former captain. He's kicked over 400 goals um, for the Crows. He's a spiritual leader. He's such a big personality. And then um, all of a sudden he becomes one of these, um, becomes one of these stains, I guess, who, comes out and um, makes the racist slur. That, that occurred during, a, uh, during one of the breaks in a Sandful game uh, a couple of weeks ago. He hasn't played since then. Um, he's copped a six-week ban. And, I mean, if you're one of the Indigenous boys at the Crows, how do you feel about having someone like that in your squad? It, it is good that he's come out and made an apology, and it looks like a sincere apology. He, he broke down. Um, from all reports, he's a shattered man. But, um, yeah, you've, you've got to think about those Indigenous boys at the Crows, don't you? He, um, look, I'd, I'd love to see him get another chance. Um, it's, it's one mistake. It's a huge mistake. But um, I'd like to see him back. But um, really hard situation. I need Toby Green to sort him out. Uh, speaking of which, uh, should he have copped a week for his elbow? Um, oh, I, th- I think when you look at precedence, no, I think that should have been overturned. He um, copped, he received two weeks from the match review panel, uh, and then that was at the tribunal this week. That was downgraded to one week. But um, I mean, Lance Franklin 
earlier this season against um, Fremantle defender Luke Ryan. He collected him. It was it was it was more deliberate. It was more deliberate than um, the Toby Green one. He collected him in the snoz with an elbow, um, copped one week, and then had that downgraded the, at uh, the tribunal to zero weeks. Bailey Fritch for his uh, high hit on um, Tom Powell. Okay, given a week by the match review panel, that was downgraded to zero weeks. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, Toby Green's incident was downgraded, but I, I think similarly to to the other two, um, the Lance Franklin and the, the and the Bailey Fritch one, he shouldn't have he shouldn't have got any weeks because because they did it. You need to have consistency. AFL games will go ahead, rain, hail, or shine, but apparently lightning isn't included in that. Yeah, well, look, I've watched a lot of AFL in my life, but that was the first time I'd seen uh, Lightning hold a match. Did, did you boys watch that game this this week, Monday night this week? <laughs> West Coast no. were playing Melbourne over at um, Perth Stadium. I was enjoying a couple of Forex goals um, on the couch in lockdown. And yeah, must the, have missed that one. Oh, mate, the game halted for 29 minutes uh, during the last quarter. They eventually came back on. West Coast uh, tore home. They kicked, I think it was four goals in the... Um, in the last quarter to uh, Melbourne zero and uh, still lost by nine points. But um, I'll tell you what, um, the the footy gods have thrown a lot at um, at the AFL this year and last year with COVID and now Lightning's um, joined the list. Mate, well, how about Geelong? Uh, they saw it all in the grand final last year with the Storm threatening to delay that game. But are they still your tip to win the flag and win the grand final this year? They are still my tip. Melbourne's on top of the ladder now. The Dogs have been very consistent this year. Uh, Geelong lost on the weekend to the Giants, but they're without Jeremy Cameron at the moment. You get him back in the side possibly this week, um, and all of a sudden they've got that three-headed monster up forward with um, Tom Hawkins, Jeremy Cameron, and Gary Rowan. They, gee, they've got, some, um, they've got some superstars and a lot of depth. They are still my tip for the flag. Three seconds to spare, Gatesy. Yeah, beauty. <laughs> That's your best performance yet. Yeah, good. Usually we're pushing out to um, a very fat four minutes and 15. Or 20. You love to hear that, don't you, ladies and gentlemen? We are at that time of week again where we dive into trivia. Jack, do you want to give us a score update, mate? You probably don't. <laughs> uh, look, I will. Um, I'm coming last on 17. Followed closely by yourself, Gatesy on 18, who's nipping at Jimmy's toes on 19. Just holding on to the lead, but tell you what, it's not by much, is it? It came and stayed on backwards. Why am I nipping at his toes? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) question. (laughs) You got me. Look, we don't have to dive into Gates. We don't have to dive back into Year 10 Anatomy. Let's get on with the trivia. That's what we're here for. Look, I'll, I'll go first, fellas. Question number one, a bit of a, have you been paying attention? Australia was reduced to its lowest ever T20 score. What was it? Zach, 62. It's still better than your high score, Gatesy, but that does move you up into equal first place. Thanks, thanks, mate. I've actually wrote an article about that this week. Fuck. <laughs> I gotta <laughs> start looking you, at your work. <laughs> but I still wasn't. I still wasn't confident. I think. I think it was just such a paltry score that it didn't deserve my full attention. But I'm happy I got that one. Right, I probably wrote an article about this as well. I'm gonna have to start thinking about my questions. <laughs> I'm just starting to wonder that now. I wonder if Gates, Gates will know mine. Okay. Radio. Right, yeah. Question number two. 
When did Australia last win the Bledisloe Cup? Zach. 1987. No. Um, 2000. No. Closer. 2002. Year of the the rooster and lion. Oh, well, well, I'll keep the ball rolling. Keep the ball in the air. In the Tokyo Olympics, who was Ash Barty's doubles partner? Zach. John Pearce. He's got it. Hey. <laughs> yeah. yeah, two to choose from. Does that mean I'm on the top of the podium for the first time in trivia history? <laughs> wow, it does. <laughs> don't speak, good don't speak just yet, mate. <laughs> All right, next question. A little bit trickier. Where did Cameron Smith finish in Tokyo? Talking about golf, obviously. Not the goat. Jack. Fifth. No. Zach, was it eighth? A little bit closer, closer, but uh, it was tenth. Oh, he made the top ten. I'll tell you what, if you were basing it on haircuts, he'd have to win the gold medal, wouldn't he? <laughs> 100%. What a cut. <laughs> Doing Australia proud. Yeah, fantastic. All right, ladies and gentlemen, well, I might kick us off with an Olympics one. Which city hosted the 1988 Olympic Games? Coman. Um, Tossing up between two. Tossing up between Berlin and Seoul. I'm going to say Seoul. And you would be right. You know why? I saw that on a TikTok very recently. Did you? But I couldn't remember if they were talking about Berlin or Seoul for some reason. Berlin hosted the 1936 uh, Games when Jesse Owens won the men's 100-metre final and there was... um, a great racism row involving Adolf Hitler. But um, we won't bore our listeners with that. Um, secondly, at which venue did Ricky Ponting make his test debut? Jack. Adelaide Oval. Not Adelaide Oval. Jack's gone for Australian Oval. I'll say the Wacker. And you would be right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was an absolute punt. <laughs> I was waiting for Jack to go. It was like, is he going international? Is he going Australia? I thought Jack would know better than me. Yeah. Gave me, gave me a bit of a clue that it was Australia. Yeah. Yeah, well. Debut in uh, December 1995 against Sri Lanka. Mule Lutheran was playing. He made 96. Um, got out for, got out for 96. Very controversially, uh, controversially because of an LBW call. Good finish. It was a very strong finish, and you pull back your lead. <laughs> back in the lead. Sorry, Gates. <laughs> it's, it's not equal now. No, he plucked both of yours. Pull, can you just give us? 20, can you just give out. us a score update there, Jack? Yeah, I can. It's um, <laughs> twenty-one plays twenty. And what do you want? <laughs> it's a bit like the Kayla Decky Ariane Titmus race at the moment, <laughs> boys. <laughs> Uh, look, I'm on 17, so, um, you know, a good round of trivia and um, I'll be back nipping at your toes, mate. <laughs> All righty, look, we need to move on and I, I desperately want to move on, so I'll kick us off again. My sure thing is for PSG to sign Leo Messi. Heartbreaking scenes in that presser earlier this week when he said that he has come to an end of his time at Barcelona. PSG are the front runners, I dare say, the Eiffel Tower. Managers have already got the uh, colours ready to light up when they announce it. Pressure cooker, um, as we touched on a little bit before, the Australian batsman. I don't think they've ever not been in the pressure cooker, uh, but dreadful. Uh, we, we lose a home test match series to India with a shaky top order. 
Uh, we lose to the West Indies, then we lose our first ever series to Bangladesh in any form. And not only did we lose it, but we lost it, what, 4-1 and fell to one of our darkest moments in Australian cricket. So the Australian batsmen are well and truly in the pressure cooker. And as I touched on, one to watch, Knights first Sharks. One of the first two top eight shootouts we'll see the Knights play. Uh, they'll face off with the Titans next week as well. Yeah, big game as the NRL comes to the pointy end of the season. Definitely one to watch. Uh, my sure bet, like I said at the very top of the podcast, my sure bet last week was the Boomers to medal. So I got that one right, which is a little win for me. I don't get too many. Um, but my sure bet this week, I'm going back to rugby league and I'm going to say Latrell Mitchell to score a try against the Titans. I think um, he's been he's been in good form lately and I think he can get across the right stripe. My pressure cooker is the same, uh, same match as Jack's one to watch. I think the Sharks... This is a must-win game for them. If they don't win, their season is over. I think the Knights can cop a loss here if the Sharks do win. But for the Sharks, they have to get a win here to keep their season alive. So they are in the pressure cooker this week. And my run to watch, simple as crowds being back. We've spent the whole two weeks at Tokyo, the last few weeks of the NRL with no crowds, you know, the, the, the generated fan noise in the stadiums. Crowds are back this week in the NRL, and it's going to be great to see. So hopefully, you know, if you get some good atmosphere and makes for some good games. Absolutely. We'll want to see the crowd going bananas. Um, my sure bet is Isaiah Papali'i to score a try in this blockbuster we've got coming up this weekend between the Eels and Seagulls. He scored um, – he had a, a big clump of tries early in the season, but uh, – he now hasn't scored a try for five games. I think he'll cross the line on the left edge there. Uh, in the press hooker. In the pressure cooker, I've got Jack Hetherington. He's um he's a wild bulldog, that fella. I'll tell you what, how many sin bins and um and uh send-offs has he kind penalties has he copped um in his early in his career? Um I mean it, it they probably haven't really cost the Bulldogs a lot this year because they're on the bottom of the ladder anyway. But um when the likes of Adokar and Burton and, uh, you know, Paul Vaughan rock up next year and the Bulldogs might be pushing for a spot in the finals. Um, you know, he can't, he can't be doing this because it could be the difference between finishing ninth and finishing eighth or finishing fifth and finishing fourth. And um, my wonder what... <laughs> Don't get too ahead of yourself there, Gatesy. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, look, the Bulldogs haven't had much success recently on... Um, I might, have optimistic. My, I might have my blue and white slippers on, but um, they're comfy, I'll tell you that. Um, and my one to watch is Elia Kipchoge. Um, I get the feeling that he's not going to compete in Paris. Um, you, he's 36 now. You're not sure what he's going to do next in his career. But um, you know, in Tokyo, he became just the third man ever to win back-to-back Olympic marathon gold medals. I'd love him to come out in Paris and attempt to become the first man ever to do it three times in a row. Who knows? One to watch. In three years' time. <laughs> watch that one. Uh, plenty of sport this weekend. Hopefully you'll, some of you guys are up there in Brisbane and can be a part of the crowds returning to the footy. But if you're on the lounge like the three of us, make sure we keep your eye on that ball because you never know when a crowd catch may just come your way. Bye. Adios. Adios.